0: Hello, and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim Mark. Today's episode 216, and we're going to be interviewing Patrick. What's up, Patrick? Hey, how's it going morning, Jim? Doing all right? I'm doing all right. I'm excited to do this with you. We were just chatting a little bit, getting to know each other. So, uh, yeah, let's dive in here and get started. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. How was that?
1: Well, I had, a, I had a turbulent childhood, like I guess a lot of us have, you know, uh, childhood trauma, stuff like that. I mean, it, it really starts like January 31st, 1982. I was, uh, I was born the day I was born. Um, uh, I almost died that day and I've been fighting for my damn life ever since, you me know? Too. And
0: um, when I was born, I had twisted bowels. Like my mom said, she took me home and I wouldn't eat for a few days. And she said, like, you literally start turning all blue and right. they took me to the hospital. I almost died.
1: Yeah. And they, they thought I had a hole in my heart and Ooh. I was completely purple. And I lived, I was, I was the sixth child, five miscarried. And then I was the first born from my mother. And, you know, and it's like, I, after that, it was like, death was chasing me my whole life. I mean, I started, you know, I, I wrote a book called fire and ice, the meth Bible. Okay. Oh, awesome. The meth Bible. Yeah. It's under the pen name Boston born again. I wrote that book and it, in the first two chapters, our, one, one was called Virgin Lungs, one of them high school high. So addiction grabbed me when I was about 13 years old. Okay, It's young. Yeah, that's when the devil comes for us usually. is right around 13, 14. So, I mean, it starts off smoking marijuana, right? And and marijuana, to my knowledge, hasn't really killed anybody. But it was the first time I learned that getting out of myself and my reality was the answer to all my problems. So, So I thought, you know.
0: What led you to the
1: marijuana? Was it? Like, what was the situation the first time you ever used? Well, I mean, we I I hung out with a group of broken kids. We gravitate towards each other. We trauma bond, you know, and uh, kids from broken homes, alcoholic families or whatnot. That was my group of friends. And I mean, they were a funny group of guys, but we all had issues, you know, and um We got together and, you know, it's like the music you listen to. It's just you want to experiment. You see your parents doing certain things, you know, and it's acceptable. And we stole a half a joint from my friend's mom. And we went under this icy bridge in Reading, Massachusetts, where I'm from. And uh, we smoked that half joint. And my whole world changed, man. Things looked different. The colors were more vibrant. In the book, I had this one part where I, I was at Burger King the first time I got high, and I bit into this whopper, and it was the most spiritual piece of cow I've ever encountered. You
0: know? <laughs> I remember 80s. the
1: first time I got high, I was at ihop
0: and I drank like a pitcher of water, my cotton mouth but out of control.
1: I just one thing I remember, everyone was laughing at me, right and then and then, you know, it like that was in sixth grade. And I remember everything really changed. I was an everyday pot smoker pretty much, but uh, everything changed in the summer from eight to ninth, And that's when I tried my first drink and we were in the woods. It was me and my other buddy. And we had a gallon, a half gallon of cheap vodka and a gallon of orange juice. And we mixed this gross amount of vodka in there. And I remember, I remember drinking the first sip, right? And I come from an Irish family, an Irish Catholic family. Alcoholism runs deep in my family. Everybody from all, every male from going hundreds of years back has been an alcoholic. And I remember taking that first sip and when it hit my throat and went to my stomach, I, an instant chemical reaction took place. I'll never forget it. And I remember thinking the words in my mind, I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. That's the way I, I want to feel for the rest of my entire life. And instantly I was an alcoholic instantly.
0: Yeah. Like um, in the big book, It said Bill W felt like he had arrived, like this is like he felt like the life of the party. Like you said, he was able to talk to people easier. Right. Felt more comfortable in his own skin.
1: Right. And then all the childhood trauma goes away. You become funnier, become more social. And then uh, it's really an allergy. I mean, I remember it. I remember being hooked right away. Um, You know, it's like it's something I've never felt before and everything all my problems drifted away and at, by 14 years old first year in high school I was an everyday vodka drinker every single day I was drinking a half the quarter gallon every day so every two days I was going through a bottle of vodka when I was a baby I was 14 years old you know so it got me really intensely and it got me really early
0: yeah that's that's it's a lot drinking so young and it, yeah. it's 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 crazy because those are when our minds are forming and molding themselves into what we're going to be. And when you introduce drugs or alcohol at that young age it really changes the
1: trajectory of our life, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it was like it was as soon as the drinking happened, bam, drugs came in hard. And I mean, it was like I was class of 2000 Reading, Massachusetts, East Coast. Right. It was a, it was a really a rich white community. We had access to all kinds of different drugs. I mean, I started with the Oxycontin, heroin, cocaine, amphetamine pills like Adderall and Ritalin, all that stuff, abusing yeah. them big time, benzodiazepines, everything. By the time I was in ninth grade, so it was like as soon as the booze came in, the drugs came in super hard.
0: I mean, why do you think that is?
1: I had access to them. I'm just an addict in every single way. I'm an addict, alcoholic. I'm an addict because I'm addicted to everything I come in contact with. I have a chemical imbalance in my brain that likes other chemicals, you know, and, um, you know, I started working at 14 to supply my habit. I was a woman shoe salesman, worked in a gas station after that, but I couldn't have real relationships or friendships because I was just too sick. Even in those early days, I dropped out of high school in 10th grade, all sports and everything I was good at. I was was an all-star baseball player. All that went away. Everything went away and addiction was my full-time love affair, man. And nothing else mattered. And nothing was going to get in between me and getting loaded. Nothing. What did your parents have to say about you quitting school so young? My mom was really heartbroken, but my mom had a lot of mental health issues and stuff. My dad was an alcoholic and they were doing the best job that that they could do. You know, today I realize that, you know, Mm It's funny, recovery will make you surpass your parents after a while if they never had the gift of recovery as far as the healing and everything. So I don't resent them anymore. They were just doing the best that they could. But the fact is, is that I had trauma so bad and addiction so bad, right? When you couple those two things, there was nothing that was going to stop me from getting loaded. I mean, I did what I wanted to. I lived by my own rules and, you know, I would take a beating and I'd walk out the back door and do it all over again. You know, so if my mom caught me drunk, I would I would take a beating pretty bad and I'd walk out the back door and I would do the next the same thing the next day. I just didn't care. I was I was willing to take the consequences in order to get high.
0: So you said um, around ninth, 10th grade is when the booze came in and then the drugs came right after. Um, Was there any like prime? I know you named a bunch of drugs. Was there anything primarily you used when it came to drugs?
1: I I love the alcohol, ecstasy, cocaine. And, and amphetamine pills, really. And that was really a foreshadowing of what was to come in the future. I mean, I drank for a long time. I You know, at about 25, you know, that uh, we'll skip through all that drunk a lot because it was just more of the same from high school all the way on. All kinds of job losses, failures, geographical cures, all that stuff. I just couldn't what, hold anything together. What do you mean when you say
0: failures? What kind of failures?
1: Just, I mean, I would I would get a job pretty decent job, I would decide I'm going to go to a party instead, blow off work, not even care, just live my life like that every day. Just failure after failure, failed relationships, failed friendships, making a fool out of myself, falling down drunk, stumbling around life uh, like a buffoon. And I just couldn't, I couldn't manage anything, you know, and I would just have failures. Nothing worked out for me because I was really so sick. Nothing could work out You know, and then I had a brief window at about 24 years old after a lot of bad things. Suicide attempts. You know, I I ended up I found myself in Texas now. So I moved from Boston. I'm with my dad down in Texas. We're in my grandparents, big house in the country club estates we inherited. And I had a brief window of sobriety for about a year when I was like 24. It was a little under a year. And I got married during that time relapsed right away like right after the wedding and then uh or right before the wedding actually and then um uh, you know we started having children things like that and i i put the drugs away for a long time
0: real quick much. before the wedding what led to the relapse
1: i just i wasn't ready okay i just wasn't ready and i was i was doing it it was just the the seeds were planted i mean i i turned 21 on a friday night i was in my first treatment center One of nine, but on Monday morning. So 21 on Friday night, Monday morning, first treatment center. I was just not ready to let go. You know, I just, I didn't make the decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. I was doing it for everybody else to shut him up, you know, and then I lived a normal life just long enough to take hostages. You know, I tricked somebody into thinking that I was this healthy person and I was not. You know, and then I roped them in and it was terrible. And I became a pretty successful businessman over the next 10 years. I was in the vacation rental industry, um, at least millions of dollars in vacations, but I was a full blown alcoholic, 382 pounds, dying in every single way.
0: 382 pounds. That's how tall are you?
1: Five,
0: nine. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, that's big. That is really big.
1: I lost 182 pounds, and and that was through, you know through, because I mean I I've, I've yo-yoed with that through drugs and recovery and blah, 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 back and forth, but this time around I you know, I've got four and a half years, and you know I've learned to live a healthier way, but I I mean during that time I was getting pulled over for, I mean it should have been DWIs, I was the town drunk in this little pirate town in South Texas right. I mean, I'd be at the bar and there'd be a guy literally with a parrot on his shoulder and I was the town drunk in that town, you know, but it was a little beach vacation rental town and I was doing millions of dollars in sales. They would pull me over and they would let me go because I was making the the town so much money in tax revenue that they were willing to overlook my bad behavior to keep the money rolling in, you know, Yeah. and I got away with it, but I was causing a lot of destruction in my marriage, my family life. I was just not a good person, man. I was a very sick person, you know, trying to appear to be healthy. You know, I would have dinner with the mayor and then throw up at a bar later on that night. It was just absolute madness, you know, and then I get beaten a couple back-to-back business deals. I was a real arrogant, cocky human being in my addiction. I did some really stupid maneuvers. Um, I did a lot of damage in the business world there, and I made some bad choices. I boxed myself in, and I got beaten this last business deal, and um, I lost my career, lost the marriage. Kids are gone, and at that point, I decided I was going to kill myself with drugs. I made a conscious decision, you know, and that's when I started really falling into crystal meth, and crystal meth is where portals to hell that I never even dreamed of opened up stuff. I never knew existed. And that's, that's what the book is all about. You know, it starts from the time I was 13, but it really exposes the meth game for exactly what it is. Like it's never been done before from what I've seen. And I've researched it a lot and it's a very raw depiction of that lifestyle and the evil that comes with it, you know, and I was a, I was a nighttime cab driver in Corpus Christi, Texas. So right after my career ends, I'm I'm living at my dad's house again in the Country Club Estates. It's just me and him. He's a bachelor. And now I'm driving a cab from 7 p.m. till 7 a.m. My cab turned into a rolling felony right away, you know, making all kinds of underworld connections and um, just really doing bad 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
0: And you're still using during this entire time.
1: I'm i'm using 24 hours a day seven days a week you know i went on a, a run on meth i think it was over 750 days and i would only sleep when i was so exhausted i couldn't like my body couldn't function anymore or if i took a pill that was it It was the only two ways and i was buying an eight ball of meth a day i was three and a half grams a day i had in my pocket you know my drug habit was four thousand dollars a month it was absolutely wow, insane yeah And I mean, the meth lifestyle is a very strange place. And, you know, people watch shows like Breaking Bad and things, and it's really not so much like that. It's actually a lot uglier. It's a lot more evil, it's a lot deeper. I mean, my clientele is prostitutes, pips, drug dealers, drug addicts, check cashers, money printers, professional boosters, thieves. I mean, the worst of the worst, you know, and that's who I'm rubbing shoulders with. So I became like a professional driver and I was driving drug dealers around and I was driving thieves around and I was driving around people from the underworld. And that's where I made my connections. And it was a very scary time, man. And I got in way over my head. I mean, I was, I was a guy who was, I wouldn't allow you in my minivan if you had half a joint in your car two years before. And then all of a sudden, You know, you'll find yourself with a duffel bag full of methamphetamine in your car. You just stop caring and reality changes. And uh, my spirit left me. I was dying in every single way. I wasn't even the same human being. We all take on nicknames, fake identities out there. And I don't think that's by any mistake either. It's like we lose ourselves very quickly in the game out there. And it sounds
0: like you've been through hell and back. Yeah. So so when you say the meth opened the gates of hell that you could have never imagined, what kind of things were specifically happening to you just from the meth?
1: Well, I mean, a lot happened. I mean, besides the broken relationships, I mean, I was a full time sex and pornography addict, just like many people are out there, almost everybody. It's a very common thing. The shame, guilt and regret. I mean, I was living a life of insanity. Okay, I mean, a life of crime where I was risking 20 years in prison because, I mean, this is Texas. You know, you get caught with an ounce of methamphetamines. You're not going to come home for a long time, you know, but you lose sight of penalty. You lose sight of all that stuff. It's such a powerful drug. And the lifestyle is so addictive. I mean, you're running around, you're in trap houses at two o'clock in the morning. There's always somewhere to go. The excitement of the game and the lifestyle was just as intoxicating as the drug was you got to detox from the game just as much as you do the drug as soon as you want to get clean. It's it's hand in hand. I mean, you know, you get used to living a certain way. And I remember being a cab driver and thinking to myself, you know, when I started to want to get clean and I knew I was in trouble and I kept failing every morning when I said I wasn't going to get high and I went to, uh, and I got high anyway, even against my will, you know, I started thinking how am I ever going to go stock shelves at Walmart after this? You know, you're living, you're living a life that's like, die hard on meth. I mean, there's action everywhere. There's people with pistols, there's crime, there's sex, drugs and rock and roll everywhere. It's like, how am I going to live a normal life after this? You know, your brain becomes rewired. And, um, you know, today I live a boring life, I guess you could say compared to that, but I'm 50 million times happier than I ever been, you know? And what really happened was, you know, I, I actually got into a major cab accident I was in a car accident and I was up for, you know, I was up way too long, sleep deprivation. And I actually, I, I hit a sign at like 70 miles an hour wow. and the sign fell on top of my head. I have pictures of all this too. You know, I have the receipts for all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, later on, when I zoom in on the picture, you know, I saw it all five ribs in half. I crushed my left heel underneath the seat. I was in a 2009 crown big. And uh, it was an old cop car turned taxi. Okay, that's what saved my life really it was all reinforced and everything because I hit it with like, I've hit it full force head on and uh, seatbelt saved my life. But I I zoom in later on the picture and I have it all blown up now. I hit the I fell asleep and I hit the sign at the Christian Sleep Studies Center. You know, God dropped a sign on my head that night and I still didn't learn for a year after that, but that was the beginning of a major spiritual journey, major spiritual experiences. And uh, that's when God started to come in. I feel like meth gets us so close to the devil that God and Christ in particular for me presented himself to give me an opportunity to change. And he gave me a choice at that time, you know, and I kept running for about a year after that, that should have been a life changing event, but I was so far in and so addicted to that drug. I couldn't stop. You know, and you know, if you flash forward a little bit further, I went into what's called deep methamphetamine psychosis. Have you ever heard of that?
0: Um, I think so. Um, is that when you go psychosis for withdrawal?
1: Psychosis is uh it's when you get what they call spun out, but methamphetamine psychosis is a medical term. You, you basically your your brain signals fire like laser beams in a straight line. That drug will throw a wall up and your signals start bouncing around inside of your mind and it, it puts you in a false reality. Like at one time, I mean, and this will sound absolutely crazy, but it's it's in the book, chapter called Movie Magic. I, I started getting so spun out and so crazy, I legit thought I was in a hidden camera movie. I thought it was like a reboot of the Truman Show being filmed with satellites and hidden cameras. I thought everybody around me was an actor and this was so real, you could not tell me. Uh, My dad had spinal cancer at this time and I was that crazy and I was strung out taking care of this sick, uh, sick man. And he could not tell me that I was sick. And my reality was these things. You know, and I thought I was the star of this movie. And it was all a complete delusion in my mind. Was that from taking too much meth? Yeah, it's from years of methamphetamine abuse. Sleep deprivation is part of it. Um, Your brain just basically gets fried from that drug. I don't know many people who've died from crystal meth. I know it happens, but most people just go absolutely insane. So I was crazy walking around living life like that for well over a year in an alternate world still using but my life deteriorated now I'm walking the streets 15 miles a day I'm living basically like a homeless person even though I had a place to live um so my dad was really sick and at one point he disappears and I think he's playing golf in Hawaii as part of this this movie I'm in and really he's he's been dead for three weeks and I got a phone call and uh it was somebody in my family and they told me he was dead and he had passed away and something clicked and i kind of knew it was the truth so i walked into a fast food restaurant it's it's on youtube my arrest video is on youtube it's on like three different channels if you type patrick dirk and corpus and on youtube it'll come up and uh i was in this house that was boarded up by the police okay country club estates it's boarded up by the police condemned it's 110 degrees in the house. House was torn to the studs. I mean, that's what methamphetamine insanity does to your your life. Um, and I walked over to this restaurant and I had a butcher knife the size of a machete in my hand and I popped my head in the door and I said, this is not a robbery. Everybody get up out of here. And I took a burger and I poured me a drink and I threw the knife down and I went sat and waited for the police. Now, I went to treatment twice that month leading up to this. It was the only state funded treatment center in the whole town. And I was refused both times for lack of a bed. I was in and out of psych wards every three days because the cops were just they didn't know what to do with me. But I kept getting released. And that's a broken mental health system, a broken drug treatment system in our country. And that needs to be fixed. I mean, I should have gotten the help I needed before it ever came to this crime, but I felt I had no choice. I was already absolutely legally insane for methamphetamine substance abuse and psychosis. And I went in there and I, i in essence, I tried to take my life back. I was an IV meth user and I was dying. I was covered in self-inflicted knife wounds. And um, I didn't hurt You were anybody. self-harming? Well, yeah, during that time. I mean, it was almost like I was demon possessed. I had knife wounds all over my, my body. I was just absent. I was a crazy person, you know? So I went and, uh, you know, I thought I was going to get charged with something, do a month in jail, come out clean is what my rationale was, you know. But in that state, in reality, I took real property, okay, even though it was a $3 burger. They called me the hamburger when I went to jail. I was famous already when I got there, (laughs) you know. And uh, But I took real property in the state of Texas with a weapon. I faced an aggravated armed robbery. Felony one, five to 99 years, I faced three counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, two to 20 each. That's 159 years stacked. And really they tried to give me 15 years the day before I went to trial. The first felony arrest ever, they were gonna make an example out of me that you can't walk into a, a public restaurant with a knife and start wheeling it around. They wanna be off the street. and um, And that's really where all the miracles started, really. You know, I was in Oasis County Jail. It's uh, it's one of the worst county jails in the United States. It's in South Texas, Corpus, kind of near Mexico. And I was there and uh, life was really hard there. But I was in that psychosis and that false reality for eight months with no drugs. So I thought I was still being filmed while I was in the jail. There's a lot of funny moments in the book about that. But really, I was super sick. But I went to bed one night. And I was talking to the weatherman in the day room on the TV thinking he could hear me. And then I woke up and I was completely healed like I am right now. That was something that the doctors and the experts couldn't explain. So that was eight months in. And then, you know, during that whole eight months in jail, I I ended up getting the number two pay attorney in the whole city as a public defender at a lottery by chance. And when I say by chance, God did that for me. Okay. And my insanity defense was rejected because in this country, you can't be found, NGRI, uh, not guilty by reason of insanity, if you have drugs in your story. They'll research it. They'll go back through your social media. They'll, they'll try to prove that you were on drugs so that you you have to go to prison. Okay? Um. So I snapped out. And then I, my lawyer, the day before trial, I called him. It was like 4 in the afternoon. And I'm totally sane now, facing a lot of prison time. And it was a crime where I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't take any money, but I was going to go away for a long time. And I called him and I said, what are we looking at? And I said, are we looking at probation? Or are we looking at, a, you know, what are we looking at? It's my first offense. And he said, they're asking for 15 years TDC. And I went and screamed into my towel back in my cell. And I accepted my actions. I said, this is an aggregation of a lifetime of bad choices that led me right here. And right then and there, I accepted it in my heart. Now, when I was crazy, I was having major experiences with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just part of my story. And a lot of people talk about that. But God came to me and he touched me during that insane period of my life. And I was never the same after I snapped out. Something was different. I believed in God at that time. So when I was healed, I came out and all those experiences didn't fade. And I was just a different person. And I went to trial. I walked down through this tunnel after I had a phone call and I accepted I was going to go to prison. And I had faith that God was going to take care of me. And I said, if I'm going to go to prison, I'm going to to go up there as a man of honor, integrity and respect. And I'm going to serve God while I'm there. And I walked through the tunnel and I walked up into the courtroom And I couldn't believe it. He was jumping up and down. He said, we beat the case. We beat the case. And then he told me the story. And he said uh, he was at the DA's office on unrelated business night before, right after he talked to me at four in the afternoon. He happened to have my files, all my medical, everything getting ready for court the next morning. And the DA caseload switched by chance. I got a new DA. And he pushed that insanity defense through. And He said, yeah, we'll let it through no investigation nothing went into court and beat the case on insanity no criminal record i had to live in a mental institution for the criminally insane for eight and a half months after that How because that? you're found in this it was insane no pun intended <laughs> but but it was <clears> like kind of I stuff, had to go what kind of give us an idea of what kind of stuff you had to deal with on a daily basis well i i had to go there right so you get found you beat the case on insanity right And your next step, and and my lawyer didn't even know this. He was like, you're going to be home in 30 days. I said, this is great. All right, I can do that. So he goes, you're going to go up to this hospital. They're going to see that you're not crazy. They're going to write a letter to the judge. You're going to be released. It's really not reality, okay? So I have to go to Vernon Supermax. It's in Vernon, Texas. It's one of the most gnarly mental hospitals in the entire country. Like Andrea Yates was there one time. She drowned like five of her kids. I got up there. My roommates were true blue serial killers, like people you would see on the news for killing 10 prostitutes, like the craziest group of people. It's too crazy for prison. They're so crazy that they could commit multiple, multiple, multiple murders, and they're not held accountable by the state because they were so insane at the time of the crime. And those were the people that I was bedding down with, having breakfast with. That's where that first half joint back in Reading, Mass. I tell these kids. Like you don't think that that first joint could lead you there, but that's exactly what led me there. The idea, the reality of getting out of my reality was the answer to all my problems. That's where it started. And it led me in a mental institution for the criminally insane. Now I'm in that place. I'm completely sane, like I am right now, okay? And I'm around the craziest people, the craziest speech you've ever heard. It's a very dangerous place. Lots of violence, sexual assaults, sexual abuse it was hell on earth the food was a little better than jail but that's about it and it looks like a prison i mean there's barbed wire fences it's out in the middle of nowhere i mean it's for the criminally insane so i was there and uh they stepped me down and i went to san antonio which is a lower a lower restrictive hospital but in reality it was way more dangerous and um it was a, it was an absolute nightmare and then they start telling me Minimum, minimum evaluation time on a felony, one charge is three and a half to five years. So get used to living here. That's where you're gonna be. And I remember my mom was still alive. I would talk to her on the phone and she would start crying every single day. You know, I had a roommate who screamed all night long. I had to learn how to live with something like that. You know, and they couldn't do anything. You know, it was absolute insanity. But um, uh, I don't know. I had a lot of miracles in there, too. I did a lot of uh, self-reflection, a lot of writing. I learned who I was going to be in recovery, and I started to help God invent the man that I am today in that tough situation. I wanted to be a different person. I didn't want to live that crazy life. I wanted to come out. I wanted to be a father to my children. I wanted to be a respectable, good husband and love one person. I wanted to completely transform my life, and I'll never regret those hard times, man, because I remember... In county jail. I had a plastic cup and a ratty old Bible. I was in solitary confinement because I was so crazy. And it was more than I ever needed. In those hard times when I had nothing, I mean, I feel like a millionaire today, man. And I'm not a millionaire, but I feel like one. So what the hell's the difference? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Right. And I was so grateful. So I'll just, I'm sorry, I mean this story is so intricate. I'm rolling through it. But there's so much, so many. I'm just trying to touch on the miracles only. So I'm going, I'm in San Antonio. I'm completely saying I see a lot of uh, abuse, neglect. People sitting in their urine for three months at a time, like mm-hmm. not changing. Yeah, they can't force people to change due to clients' rights. We actually have so many rights in there that it hurts people who are mentally challenged. And that's what these people were, is they were mentally challenged. Like on the books, I'm mentally challenged, you know, but I'm not. It was really a mistake. You know, God made a way for me to beat this case. And um, I'm in there. I, there was one, it's in the book. There's one event where basically this nurse told me, she said, Patrick, if you don't like things the, the way that they are here. And they knew I shouldn't be there. I was completely, I mean, they called me high functioning. I was completely normal in this crazy situation. She said, if you write a letter, I'll take it up to the White House and I'll deliver it myself. The White House? Now, yeah, it was a, it was the nickname for this administrative building up on the top of the hill in San Antonio State Hospital. All the top brass were there. All the big doctors, administrative people, people who were shot callers in the system, executives for this evil corrupt system, okay? Every inmate's worth $1100 a day. They were raking in multi millions per month. Where it was basically like cattle, people who were mentally deranged. All there was was Medline They would drug you. You would sit in a chair and watch TV the whole day. There is no therapy. There is no getting better. You're just a piece of living meat that's worth $1,100 a day to a very evil, corrupt system. And that's what the way most mental health systems are, state-run level in the United States, okay? It's a big scam. It's a big money-making machine like privatized prisons. And I was in there, and I was completely sane, okay? I figured out through my client's rights handbook. And I was probably the only person who ever read that because I went in there and I found a way to legally get a cell phone into the system the right way. I I learned that if my mom took the camera out of that phone, she could send it to me and there was nothing they could do. So now I got one. I had an outside link to the outside world. I had information. I could talk to people freely whenever I wanted to. I could get uh, uh, a line to the outside world about what was going on in this place. So, Um, I was seeing all this abuse. I started these journals. A woman was almost murdered by a male patient there right in front of me. Um, A big sexual assault happened right in front of me. And they would just cover this stuff up because everybody's so crazy there. They would just not make a big deal out of it. Nobody will ever know the difference and nobody will ever hear about it. But then there was I right in the middle of all this stuff. I started writing a journal with names, dates, times of all the victims. I was bribing victims with candy bars and M&Ms. My mom was sending me care packages. And I would get their sister's phone number and tell them about these atrocities happening to their family in there and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I wrote this letter and I told them, I said, this is my name. You can verify that I have a phone. You can verify with my doctors that I'm not insane. And all these other things. I said, I have names, dates and times and journals. And I said, as long as I'm in this evil corrupt system, I'm gonna be a major problem for you. I'm gonna take all my stuff, all my journals and everything to the local and state media, and I'm gonna blow this thing wide open. I became a champion for the people inside of there. I started, um I started to report and to fix problems. And I was speaking in town hall meetings, and they realized they had a completely sane person with access to the outside world. And ultimately I wrote a a four page letter in five minutes that ultimately set me free. And I didn't even know it. And I wrote 12 letters in all. And uh, the last straw was right near the end. My roommate escapes. Now, if you go on uh, YouTube again, another receipt, if you type in San Antonio state hospital escape, okay, there's two news stories that are right at the top. That was my roommate. And I was in there right at the end. They were just, they had me in this holding pattern where I was already released, but they had to wait for six months in that facility before they could let me out legally because I was on a big felony one charge. So I was in this holding pattern, but right near the end, my roommate escapes and they covered it up. So there was a, a violent escaped mental patient walking around the streets of San Antonio, just hop the wall, and they didn't alert anybody, they didn't alert the media, nobody. And I had my phone, right? And I messaged all the news channels. And I said, do you want a story about an escaped mental patient? And uh, and one guy answers back and he goes, you can't have a phone in there. He didn't believe me. Nobody's ever had a phone in there. And, uh, and I dropped a GPS pin from inside the unit and they immediately messaged me back. And then they ran those two news stories. And on Monday morning, my social worker had a stack of files and she came down there and she said, Patrick, my job is to get you out of here today, and not long after, I came out with a completely, completely free man with no criminal record, and I got to start my life over. And I came out homeless, and I stayed clean, and I wrote this book, Fire and Ice: The Meth Bible. I wrote that in six months. To the day, it's seven hundred and sixteen pages. It's a good book, and I wrote it. Uh, it's you know, it's pretty much it's based on my life, based in you know truth. And um, I completely changed my life. I've done millions of dollars in sales since I've been out. I moved to Washington. I started my whole life over. I married my soulmate. You know, I'm winning awards in my day job career. You know, life is completely different. I'm in a 12-step program. I'm in multiple 12-step programs. I try to help a lot of people. You know, I speak wherever I'm asked. I go and I try to make a difference in the lives of other people and lift the shame off of the addict. And show that we do recover. And to show people that even the worst cases of us, even the criminally insane, the addicted, the lost children, everybody can change their complete their life completely and totally transform. You know? And I'm living proof. And I think God spared my life. And I believe he spared my freedom because I should absolutely be in prison and I'm not. So that I could tell this amazing story and show people that no matter how bad and no matter how far down the scale you've gone, you can recover.
0: That's great. I mean, and that's a long book. It's hopefully, uh, like you said, got a ton of information in there to share. What kind of stuff did you focus on in the book?
1: Well, I just I, I mean, it was basically just all the journey through addiction. Okay. And it ends when I come out. I'm writing a second book right now called Deep Washington. I'm writing it right now. And that's about when I got here to the state of Washington and transformed. But the book has the whole journey. It's I mean, it's a lot of the time is when I was a meth addicted cab driver and it shows the game exactly the way it is. It's very raw and very truthful. You won't find another book like meth about meth like it anywhere. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Good to be unique and have a different product. Right. And it's just it's a story that hasn't been told yet. You know, not like that. You know, and it's a story that's affecting almost every city and every town all over the United States. Meth is even on the East Coast now, and it was never there when I was growing up. I'm 40, I'm about to be 41, and I never even heard of meth until I moved to the South, but now it's everywhere.
0: Yeah, it is everywhere, absolutely. I mean, this is episode, I think, what did I say, 216? So I've done a lot of interviews, and a lot of people, meth was their thing.
1: Right. And I I loved all drugs you know, because I'm just an addict, but that was the one that got me the worst. It was spiritually a different type of drug. I mean, it opens up portals to the devil. Like I've never felt my entire life. The supernatural reigns in that world. It's crazy. I mean, the book details all that. And it's, I mean, I do videos and I do forums and I know that that sounds kind of kooky, but literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have had the same experiences. So it's like, is it really happening or is it all a deluge? You know, yeah, and the book goes into all of that and it shows that life for exactly the way it is. It's
0: good, man. You should be proud of yourself, all the uh, stuff you've accomplished since you know you got out. It's a lot of stuff, yeah. So, let me ask you one last question Do you have any advice for people watching, listening, as far as what you do on a daily basis to stay sober and how maybe you can give some advice to help people in their journey?
1: Gratitude is everything for me. And it, it, I just remember the bad times, the hard times. And I remember every single thing that I lived through that I shouldn't have. I mean, I've had a pistol, a loaded 357 put in my eyes, talking. I should absolutely have HIV. There's no doubt. I should absolutely have hepatitis C, and I didn't. And even if I was living with those things and I'm still living, I would be grateful. Um, but I try to think back all the times I didn't. I shouldn't have made it. The fact that I shouldn't be free all the times God protected me. And, and, it, and it gives me a purpose. It's like, why did God spare my life? You know, so gratitude, I write a gratitude list, sometimes between one and four pages every single day. And I remember everything that God did for me and it helps my recovery and it helps me stay in a positive mind frame and stay in positive thinking. And then, I mean, I found that when I do that, I can do anything I set my mind to.
0: And I forget if you mentioned it, how long have you been sober now total?
1: Four and a half years.
0: It's a long time, my friend. It's a long time. Yeah. June 3rd,
1: 2018 was when I was arrested. That's that's the YouTube video. That was the day I was arrested. And, you know, I've been free ever since, man. It's been it's an absolute miracle story that God wrote in my life. I was just the guy lucky enough to live it. It's not that I'm great, dude, because I did everything. I tried to kill myself. You know, I should absolutely be dead. In 2010, I took 91 milligrams Xanax. man. Wow. Yeah. I was in a coma for five days. You know, I was raised from the dead like Lazarus, man. I shouldn't be here. My ex-wife will tell you that story. It's all legit. I mean, I've got all the stuff that really happened to me in real life. I've got all the receipts for it and it blows my mind. Sometimes I can't believe that I'm alive. So it's like, what do I have to be ungrateful for? Why wouldn't I love my life today? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Gratitude's the key. If, if anybody out there struggling, if you can get into gratitude, you cannot be grateful and depressed at the same time. You just can't. Gotcha. Did you have anything else you want to add in before we get going? No, that was a lot of information I gave you in a short amount of time. So I, yeah, appreciate, I appreciate you having it. me on. And uh, just go ahead and pick up Fire and Ice, the Myth Bible. It's on Amazon.com, Barnes and and other major on- online retailers if you just Google it. Um, it's an eye opening book and it tells really one man's journey through addiction. It goes all the way from beginning to end, and it's just a cool story, uh, and it's really raw and truthful. So it might help some people.
0: Yeah, man, yeah, absolutely. I hope people, anyone listening, I hope they pick it up. I wish you the best of luck with your book. I mean, it's an exciting thing. We we have a book coming out. Uh, well, I wrote a book, and hopefully, it'll be out by the end of January. So I'm excited about that also. So, keep um, me posted. I'd love to read it, man. I appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. It. And you know, yeah, maybe I'll get a, I gotta get a copy of your book. So yeah, like you said it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble.
1: Yep. Yep, it's uh it, you can get it on Kindle too. It's a little bit cheaper. But yeah, it's a, it's a big book. It's like 716 pages. And it's a roller coaster ride, man, especially when I was a cab driver, I mean, but it, it just trigger warning on it though. I do want to warn people like it's a very raw and truthful honest book. I mean, you'll smell the inside of a trap house when you're reading it. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate you having me, Jim. Thank you so
0: much. No, I think it's been a great interview. Like you said, you gave us a lot of information in a short amount of time, and uh, maybe we'll have you back one day, talk a little bit more when you write that second book.
1: That sounds good. And you know what? If anybody's listening to this, no matter how bad you were, if I can get clean, you could do it too, because I was the worst of the worst. So it's just making a decision and deciding I'm going to turn it all around today.
0: Yeah, absolutely yeah well thank y'all all All right my friend hang tight for a second and for everybody watching and listening if you like what you heard and saw go below and give us a like also subscribe to see when we upload new videos you can check us out on twitter facebook reddit instagram tiktok tumblr we're pretty much on all social media platforms and i also suggest you check out our website which is www.addicts-anonymous.com we've got uh, plenty of free resources and a ton of free literature So I hope you enjoyed today and until next time.